0: Hi, I'm Roberto. This video you're about to watch is the second part of my conversation with Professor James Lamiel. The conversation is about his book from 2019 which is titled Psychology's Misuse of Statistics and Persistent Dismissal of Its Critics. So, If you have not seen the first part of the interview, just go uh, take a look at the description below and you will see the previous part. If you also don't know what the book is about, you can find my book commentary video about the topic of this book. And specifically in this part of the conversation, Professor Lamiel talks about why he characterizes psychology as incorrigible, which is I think quite interesting. And of course, everything relates to the topic of statisticism, which is the main topic of the book. And yeah, I mean, you can also hear Professor LaMille talk about why statisticism is a social ethical problem for psychology. So it is not a tiny thing. Uh, again, if you don't know the book, uh, you can check my book commentary video. But anyway, if you enjoyed the first part already, I know you will enjoy these ones. So here we go. Now... Uh- I, I would actually like to to emphasize this point with a question going a, a bit ahead on, on on one of the topics I wanted to address. Do you think uh, philosophical thinking or methods, uh, let's say, closely related to to what it stands for, um, do you think that it's not respected enough in modern psychology?
1: Yes. Yes. That's my short answer. Yes. And. Um, I I might, I can't remember how much I talked about this in the book. You'd think I would remember. It's not that old, but I'm old. Um, uh, (laughs) um, You know, Wundt published a paper in 1913, Psychology Struggle for Existence. And he said, psychology and philosophy are wanting to separate this is a bad idea because psychologists will lose capacity within their discipline to to deal with conceptual questions. And in any legitimate science, conceptual questions come up. A good science and good scientists recognize that their discipline is not purely empirical. There are conceptual questions. Um, And I know firsthand that uh, by the time I came along, psychology had lost its interest in conceptual questions. Um, When I published the 1981 uh, American Psychologist article, my department chair congratulated me, and then he said, but you know, it's merely theoretical. And he used the term merely, and I I think I did write about this.
0: It is in the book, yes. (laughs)
1: And And that's exactly what I meant. And um, others have written about this, and I've I've cited their work in the field too. It's not just Lamiel, the crank, uh, being concerned about this. I think that psychologists first lost their interest in conceptual and philosophical questions, and have since largely lost the capacity to deal with conceptual questions. And this is exactly what Wundt warned about in 1913. (laughs) <laughs> so yes, I do think that has happened. You, you, you ask at some point uh, why um, why why isn't the point being made, or, or why are, why are psychologists sticking so to their to their methods? I can't find it exactly mm. in the text, but, but my short answer is careerism
0: yeah um, <laughs> well this publishing? is for example this you you do not explicitly mention terrorism uh, in, in your book, but this right. is what was in my mind the whole time because i mean uh, I was wondering okay how how real is the perspective that uh, i think I told you at the beginning i uh, I will not say i'm a young psychologist no. i mean I'm thirty years old, but i also yeah. uh i'm not the most experienced of course I'm, i i don't know i'm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, career-wise, I'll say it. yes. I'll say it. <laughs> but but the point is, uh, when you, I see these kind of discussions and you show the evidence about all of these potentially or basically major flaws in 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 the foundations of psychology or or, or very very big pitfalls in what has mm-hmm. what, is do, what is being done what uh, is being done right now, um, yeah, you think okay, yeah, but to uh, a lot of colleagues let's say or, or persons that, that, that exist in the field this might not matter because all they want is to publish all they want is to to be cited and get grants grants yeah exactly so so then yeah, that also serves as a, a, a least to me a, some kind of explanation about why somebody will be like okay this is just trivial let's let's move
1: on right and i had even when i was at illinois there were uh, well, maybe not at Illinois yet. Yeah, maybe, but certainly at Georgetown. Graduate students whom I taught, and they would come to me in private and say, "Look, I know you're right, but I, I got to get my degree, and the work has to be done in thus and so way." And so, sorry, <laughs> but uh, um, and. One in, in all fairness, uh, many of them certainly earlier on, more than, than later, were saying to me, "Okay, Lamiel, what what should we do instead?" Um, mm-hmm. Now there's a there's a there's a pitfall there because in many cases, um, what what the quest- what the questioner really wants to know is, how do I go about doing what I've been doing better? more correctly? And the answer to that question is you can't. What you're doing is not psychology, it's demography. And you may be doing exquisite demography. And if what you want to do is demography, don't change a thing. Keep on doing what you're doing. And then when they say, well, you can't do psychology scientifically and study individuals. Ah, uh, and I, as i think i might have said in, in in the book at some point people like Bunt, ebbinghaus they would have been very surprised to hear this because that's exactly what they were doing that's how experimental psychology began and you asked me well what what what, what were they doing uh, what were they after there is a place in the in the interview where you asked you asked me that question should i should i take it up now or or yeah yeah go ahead okay. I- They were in search for uh, experimental evidence of general laws concerning human psychological functioning. Well, Lamiel, you can't find general laws by studying individuals. But the early experimentalists, and again, this is Wundt and Ebbinghaus and their, their contemporaries, they understood general to mean allen gemein, common to all. Common to all what? Well, their interest is in individual human beings and their consciousness or mental functioning, so common to all individuals. And then I asked my questioner a question. How would you find a law that is general across individuals without studying individuals? It's it's not only an option. It's necessary. If you you have nothing of, of scientific authority after your experiment to say about individuals, and that's all you'll have if you have only aggregate statistics, how do you establish the generality? Of these laws, you can't establish that something is common to all individuals unless you're able of testing that question at the level of the individual. And aggregate research doesn't do that. When statistics entered into the discipline, the meaning of general changed from common to all to true on average. These are not the same meanings. they are obviously not the same meanings. And so the first step to what do you do instead, Lamiel, is get back to studying individuals. You can do this experimentally. You can do it quantitatively, in fact. You don't have to abandon quantitative methods entirely. You can, this, this can be done, the early experimentalists were doing it. And it's funny, Roberto, uh, in a sad sort of way, that most um, general psychology textbooks, even today, will pay homage early on to Wundt and Ebbinghaus as the founders of their science and without realizing that the the experimental science they were doing was something vastly different from what has come to be the case the treatment group uh, uh, approach and statistical methods and population statistical methods were not a part of Wundtian experimentation. And they were not a part of Ebbinghaus's uh, work at all. Um, Well, they were actually uh, Ebbinghaus's work, but all the data, all the data observations on which he calculated his statistics were based on himself. That's the multiple observations of the individual. And as a matter of fact, he was interested in, in estimating error. In the observations right. that he had made about himself. And that was one of the early uses of, of, uh, of statistics uh, in, in combination with measurement. So A, we have to, we have to fully, we have to learn to re- relearn to appreciate the fact that you can study individual persons in search of generalities within psychology, as long as you understand generality to mean common to all. Um, so it's it's doable. Um, uh, and there are methods out there for doing work that is high quality and would pass muster as psychology uh, that is quantitative, and we must also open up the bandwidth, our methodological bandwidth to admit of the necessity, in addition perhaps to quantitative methods, of qualitative methods, and and exercising qualitative methods is not Outside the bounds of science, certainly it would not be to um, um, to anyone with a, an appreciation for the um, the distinction between the naturwissenschaften and the geisteswissenschaften and and was, was was critical in this that geisteswissenschaft is, is uh um, Basically, it would be the human sciences, and might be translated or referred to more often in English as the humanities, which is unfortunate because when you use the term humanities, the, the term science drops out of the name. We don't talk about the human sciences, but rather the humanities, and we tend to think of humanities as something different from science. But if you think of them in the German sense, of or the original German sense, as Geisteswissenschaften, Wissenschaft, which is the name of, is a term for science, it occurs there just as it occurs in Naturwissenschaften. So we have not science and non-science, but two different kinds of science, calling for different methods. And there's plenty of people out there now, not in the mainstream, but out there nonetheless, who are uh, talking about the the importance of qualitative methods in the prosecution of a scientific psychology. And I think that that's one of the things that's gonna to have to happen within the mainstream.
0: And now correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe one of your conclusions is that psychology can be both of these, right? Uh, it, it, yeah. it, it has these two... Uh, uh, let's say the distinctive natures, you know, because of what you just explained, of course. And I think uh, the part of the message of, of the book is that, yeah, of course, uh, psychology, by definition, it, it has to do, of course, with uh, psychology, which resides in individuals, right? Yeah. But of right. course, you can do this kind of, uh, as you have uh, named it, also the psychodemography studies or, or, basically mainstream <laughs> psychology which is okay mm-hmm. working with aggregated data and uh, which right. can be useful uh, i believe you stay clearly sure. in, for public policy or other uh exactly. type of efforts but but do not make the mistake of taking that to say that you know things about uh individual uh right. psychology exactly. right so so, so that, exactly. that's the thing uh that's when all these uh, this kind of topics, That that's what I mean, you know, that you talk about, okay, knowledge of of, of no one, which is what uh, turns out to be is being generated most of the time. That's right. Maybe even when researchers don't recognize it, because the original goal or one of the goals or of special experimental psychology was general laws, right? And that's it. But they right. ended up, or not they, but the, the followers of of that ended up doing instead, uh, of getting knowledge which is average untrue for the average man, right? Which doesn't exist. <laughs> right. Maybe there are replications that align to that, but it's knowledge of no one, right? Um, That's right. That's right. So uh, I think the one of the questions then precisely and. Uh, and maybe just to, to, to close down on, on kind of these conceptualizations of, of what the problem really is, mm-hmm. I have to ask you about the figure of the babies, <laughs> because you have this example where you try to explain where, like the question is not if there are differences in psychologies or, or, oh. or individual differences. And you have, I think it's the, fir- the first uh, figure that you have in your book about... Yeah. Three babies, right? Looking at inside their diapers, uh, and and to be honest, I I read it the first time. And I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. But then I also saw it in another article that you published, I think, in two thousand thirteen, where you explained Correct. it a bit differently. Uh, but it's it's the same. Uh, but I was always trying to to understand, okay, what's kind of uh, a, a modern way to to explain to me myself this kind of of difference. But in that article, and I think in the end also in the book. Uh, you say the difference uh, that you could, let's say, observe uh, in this kind of things are indeed data sets (laughs) themselves in the data because you are collecting, uh, you have aggregated data and there, of course, (laughs) differences arise between individuals, right? Uh, But that doesn't mean that those differences as they are defined or conceptualized exist necessarily in the individual so you have right. this figure of, of babies and you talk about sex differences right or gender or, or what you want to say can you explain a right. bit about that how do you come up where did you find this first of all
1: <laughs> <laughs> i don't know where i first found the cartoon i i honestly don't and it was a bit of a problem in using it because when i first used it i had to search around you know for permission
0: Okay. Use but I mean, things, I will be happy to end, know that at least you didn't think of it, right?
1: <laughs> no, no, I didn't think of it. I saw it and my and the notions were already in my head yeah. and and then I said I can use that. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's the process I was curious about. How does someone see this? It's just like this is what I was looking for. <laughs> this is the example to make my this- point. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's right. It makes it
0: perfectly. That's what was so surprising. Oh, that's good,
1: (laughs) I'm pleased. And the publisher finally allowed me to use it on the grounds that, as best it could be told, it, it had now become part of the public domain. Nobody knew who the original creator was, the cartoon. And I was warned that if I used it and somebody raised an issue about it, I would be financially liable for it, but I was confident that, uh, that I could use it, partly because I had used it previously in, the, in, that, in that journal article. Um, yeah, the, 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 we, we can speak meaningfully about, say, sex differences, but sex differences between people, but no one has a sex difference. You know, No, I don't have a skin color difference. I can't, you can't, you know, <laughs> I am at least what is called white. Yes. It, it's not different. And the black gentleman sitting next to me, his skin is black. It's not different. There is a difference that can be seen by an onlooker to us both, for example, you, and you can talk about a difference that you see, but that difference is not part of any one of the individuals who is differentiated from the others. Um, This was partly the insight into uh, William Stern's distinction between study of uh, individual differences, variables, and studies of individuals. I'm tempted, I'm, I'm going to use it at some point, the, the, the phrase in, in a place where it, it's prominently displayed. It, it will jar people. It's the claim, no one is different. Hmm. No one. Is, this isn't different. <laughs> right. And this guy isn't different either. Yeah. And we say, well, which one of you is different? The answer is no one. And do you see? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um. And I think what this also made me think, of, when you were putting these examples, because you, I think you have multiple examples about, so your reader, the reader of this book really gets the idea of where the conceptual difference and the substantial difference about the epistemology and knowledge and, and what you can really, uh, Find out let's say, as, as a scientist, etc, uh, there is a clear difference, but um, what it made me remember uh, I remember I had a, a, a teacher, a, a professor also once, uh, and she was talking about uh, yeah, your psychometrics basically and, and a test uh, applying a test, and as I told you, this was in the sports psychology field. So in that field, it's also very important to identify variables, you know, that influence yes. somebody's performance, etc. But I remember she very, very distinguishly said uh, to the class. Uh, she said, "Well, when you really want to know about the person, you know, what what's going on with the person, you don't really need to uh, think about." The attributes that are you know measured and I know I think you have a good idea that maybe measure is not measurement is not the right uh, concept always uh, I think you mentioned in a note uh, numerical representation right? right. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, what this professor said uh, uh, during this lesson was if I want to know what's going on with this person with this individual I have to look at the item at the response <laughs> so if i ask them if i ask them okay how do you feel zero to ten well to really know <laughs> what this person tried to reflect on their response it's easier to just look at the question uh, look at where they put their answer and, and try yeah. to understand okay this is what this person is telling me and it's not that necessary to sum up uh, compared uh, to you know to go deeper if you really want to know a direct account. So uh, mm-hmm. so I think this also brought back to me like really the, the, the training, the instinct that you are sometimes giving as a psychologist where they tell you, no, you have to do measurements and you have to do this and that mm-hmm. to really know when in reality, once you get data from an individual, you already know something about them, right? And if you did it more times and if you did it systematically and you develop methods for it, then as you told us, then you can generate uh, maybe some laws that could apply to everybody, be safe or in the same situation. So,
1: yeah, it's. Yeah, quite possibly. There's not, at least I don't see anything in principle that would prevent doing that. And I think that that's. you know, that's that's the path that Vaunt and Ebbinghaus and the other pioneers wanted to set um, the discipline on. Stern comes along and says, well, that's not a very good path for studying um, individuality, because right. since the early experimentalists were concerned only with establishing what is true in general, signs of individuality in the conduct of experiments would not have been of interest to them. And so what Stern was saying is, when he talked about individuality as being the problem of the 20th century, which he did in the 1900 book, it's the very first line in the foreword, he meant, as I, as I wrote, the challenge for psychology in the 20th century to not to, to overthrow or reject the Wundtian approach but to expand psychology in such a way as to accommodate the facts of individuality. Not everything that, is, is, that goes into the determination of your behavior, your thoughts, your speech, et cetera, is allen gemein Not everything, some of it, yeah, but not all of it. And we have to figure out, Stern, we have to figure out ways of accommodating the facts of individuality within a general psychology and, and make sure that those can be reconciled uh, with the two. And um, I, I think he was right. I, I, th- I think he is right, or at least I have no good reason to argue that that, that, uh, that he was wrong. Um,
0: but, and now, I mean, the, uh, that also s- s- struck me because he called it the challenge of the twentieth century, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, and did here do? Are. how did we do? How did we do? What was the conclusion? Because it seems that we are still stuck solving that challenge. Is that how you feel? Yes. And um,
1: well, I I think that the psychology went off the rail when it embraced statistics. Um, and and effectively, the the, the challenge that Stern saw was simply abandoned when we when we stopped doing experimental psychology in the Wundtian Ebbinghaus way. That challenge disappeared. Yeah. And so, um, and Anastasi wrote in her book, in her textbook, and I think I quoted it in in, in my book that that. The knowledge objectives of the differential psychology and the general psychology were basically the same. Oh. Stern knew very well they were not. They were not the same. And, um, But the belief that they were the same, and, and what that, the same in what respect? The same in the respect that Differential psychology supplies us with knowledge about individuals, no less than did the general experimental psychology. Um, this is something that 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 Stern knew was not the case and and um, the confusions about which we 've spoken previously um, led to obscuring that fact, and when that fact was obscured the the um, the struggle to meet the challenge that Stern had posed simply disappeared. <laughs> right. Uh,
0: and now, uh, I mean, th- th- that's, uh, I think there are two things uh, to highlight here is that, I mean, I think during our conversa- conversation, we have also been very uh, still, we're not digging deep in what you put in your book about the historical developments that led to this, because you've mentioned, like I said, big names, uh, oh, let's say recognized, uh, uh, psychologists, uh, and, and and a lot of people that were commenting on, on this issue, and, and, and that's a whole story by itself, right? Uh, and, and for now, I would also like to maybe close down this topic about we're talking about the methods themselves, because mm-hmm. I also uh, sent you part of the questions that were, okay, what do you think... Uh, uh, let's say randomized control trials, right? This is the kind of the golden standard, <laughs> which I, I, when I read that I thought, okay, but I know that it's also already a kind of, not buzzword, but like a, a common concept that, okay, our RCTs are are not as golden standard as we thought. I mean, they are still everywhere. They're still, I think, leading grants or whatever uh, projects, etc. cetera. But one already starts to hear that idea, but one, by reading your book, one wonders, okay, is this actual change or is this just blah, blah, blah of the model of science, you know? Uh, What do you think is the kind of the current status of RCTs? And I think you also link it to, of course, evidence-based medicine, you know?
1: say again the question roberto i'm not that
0: uh what, what is your general kind of uh, perspective on what randomized controlled trials or movements like evidence-based medicine uh offer let's say to to advanced uh um, yeah.
1: it can offer population level knowledge when when the studies are done well and i'm not my there's nothing in my book that critiques the methodology of the studies, I'm talking about the conception of them. When the studies are done well, let's say the studies are done as best that they can be done. It offers knowledge, population level knowledge about the effectiveness of different interventions or treatments. And I see nothing especially problematic about offering that knowledge to healthcare professionals doctors nurses you know and to uh, patients in the healthcare system we've done this study and uh, it it looks as if a larger proportion of the popula- the treated population uh, uh, gets well or improves, whatever the criterion is, um, by this treatment method than by this one. I-, I don't see anything wrong with that. Where I was having trouble was with the, the idea that um, uh, uh, the, the findings of randomized control research should be used to limit the treatment options that patients would have and serve to limit the uh, the forms of treatment that insurance companies will remunerate. And the argument that they should do so is that, well, we know that the probability that Smith will get better is thus and so with this treatment and thus and so lower with that other treatment. That's the same problem we were talking about. No, sir, you do not know that. This, this, this patient may or may not get better with this treatment and you don't know what the probability is and therefore, it seems to me that it is ethically problematic to institute or would be ethically problematic if um, restrictions were instituted limiting the treatment options that patients would have and the forms of treatment that would be uh, remunerated uh, by insurance companies show them the data then let them make their own decisions un- unrestricted and that's that's what i was was right. writing about does that does that make sense
0: yes definitely i mean you this is one of the chapters in the book and i that's right. i was especially i think uh, i will say one another main example you use which in my opinion is probably way more common or not not maybe way more common but maybe more recognizable by by (laughs) a few people, um, is the one that you mentioned with the character, fictional character of Leslie, which I think sometimes you name differently in other publications, I think it doesn't (laughs) matter. (laughs) It's not a real person. (laughs) But the situation is very real, right? That there, I think it's quite common that uh, psychologists (laughs) or people working in industry, let's say in business, for recruiting processes or selection processes, use uh, a lot of, or use uh, one will even say ideally, but maybe not <laughs> uh, <laughs> statistical tests, uh, questionnaires that are said to be based on on science and that are said to inform decisions. <laughs> um, yeah. but sometimes it seems to be that in these kind of situations, the same mistake is made, right? Where somebody takes uh, this kind of uh, test and based on knowledge that has been generated on uh, groups of individuals makes a claim of knowledge to decide if they select give a job to an individual
1: right that's right and i i see it as an ethical problem and it, it you know it's it's one thing to say well psychologists, uh, psychometricians have not generally understood some of these points in the past. Okay, everybody makes mistakes, but when this when the correctives get repeated over and over and over again and they still get ignored, I think there comes a time when we have to say of the practitioners of such methods that they're not making mistakes, they're lying. Now, that sounds harsh. But if if, if if you present me with an argument that I'm mistaken in some way, and I can't refute it, but I go on treating people uh, uh, the way in which you have challenged um, and telling patients, yeah, we know the probability that you're going to get better or that you're going to cause a problem on the job. Even though you've been told time and time again, no, you don't know that, and you haven't refuted that argument. That you know, is there, is there not a point where one says you're you're not just making repeated mistakes, you're perpetrating a lie? Um, and right. I. That's again. That sounds harsh, but I yeah. I think that that and I don't I don't say that in my book, as you know, but. <laughs> I think that that that's the place where the argument eventually
0: leads. I I was actually, I was just thinking with what you were saying that, yeah, it's true. You don't make that strong argument of, okay, psychologists are lying. You don't say that, but what you do say, and I think that's what you provide the evidence for is that you call psychology as a field. It has proved to be incorrigible, right? It has refused to learn, (laughs) even when they have, or we have been shown evidence of this or that. It seems to be that there's some kind of resistance or ignorance that is very, very uh, attached.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, um, when I originally proposed the book I proposed to to title it, Incorrigible science.
0: One has the feeling that that was what you wanted to do. That's what I meant. That that second part of the title, persistent dismissal of its critics, I was like, hey, there's probably a word that says that.
1: Right, I wanted to, and the publisher said no. And they, why? They said their marketing research shows that when you title a book, you have to tell the reader immediately and unambiguously, what the book is about. And they said, if you use the title, incorrigible science, we it'll be more difficult to market the book. When when you said early today in our interview that you had come across this book and you saw the title, it caught you right away. I'm thinking, geez, my <laughs> publishers were right. Uh, <laughs> would it have caught you? Well, the, the publisher said also, they said, I. I you Know a lot of people who might come across this book may not even know what the word incorrigible means, okay. And right. I i think they were right. Uh, not that I've sold great volumes of the book in any case, but uh, <laughs> but I was struck when you said that you uh, you found the title that, as soon as you saw it, was an eye catch, yes, and so. I didn't come up with that title. My publishers did and I was a little bit disappointed, but I think they were right.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I guess they they were able to to probabilistically know things about me. Well, that's right. (laughs) So that was the second part of my conversation with Professor James Lamiel. I hope you enjoyed also as much as I have done with these three part conversations that I had with him. If you want to hear the uncle version of our discussions you can find that in my podcast and like i said before if you want to read about it or read more about my thoughts about this topic you can find that in my blog and of course you still have one more part of the conversation to go so you can also find that video in the description and as usual if you have any thoughts about what this uh book is about what professor Lamiel is saying i really would like to know what you're thinking so please Put that in the comments and remember you can help me by giving a like to the video, subscribing to the channel, following me on social media. Just let me know if you if what you think of this content or, or if you would like to hear more specific things about psychology or behavioral science. I will be happy to work on that. So as usual, thank you for watching this video and see you soon.